Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Sometimes when big topics like death or loss or grief are present among us or something we're engaging in approaching, the best way to come in for all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, is through a story. And so I want to invite Lauren. I think you have a story for us. Yeah. Do you want to come forward and share a story for all of us this morning? Thanks, Justin. Yeah, I have a story about Old Badger. So Old Badger was dependable, he was reliable, and he was always ready to help when help was needed. So Old Badger was very old, and because of that, he knew almost everything. He was so old that he even knew that he was going to die soon, but he wasn't afraid. Badger believed that dying only meant that he would leave his body behind, as his body didn't work as well as it had in days gone by. No, Badger wasn't afraid to die, but he was worried about how his friends would feel when he was gone. Badger had been trying to prepare them. He had told them that someday soon he would go down the long tunnel of dying, and he hoped they wouldn't be too sad when it happened. Now one day, as Badger was watching Fox and Mole race down the hillside, he felt especially old and especially tired. He wished he could run with them, but he knew his old legs wouldn't let him. Still, he enjoyed the sight of his friends having a good time. That night, when darkness came, Badger wished the moon good night and slowly made his way home. He settled into his soft chair by the warm fire, and soon Badger was fast asleep, having a strange yet wonderful dream like none he'd ever had before. He dreamt that he rose from his chair with strong, sure legs. He no longer needed his walking stick so he left it behind. Ahead, he saw the long tunnel, and he moved toward it, running faster and faster through the long passageway. Nothing hurt, and he felt free. (laughs) It was as if Badger had fallen out of his body. The next morning, Badger's friends found that he had died in the night. Fox and Mole and Rabbit had loved Badger so dearly, and they were very sad. As their tears rolled down, snowflakes began to fall. Winter had begun, and soon a thick layer of snow hid the animals' homes where they would stay snug and warm during the cold months to come. By night, they lay in their beds missing Badger and wondering what they would do now that he was gone. But by day, the animals often visited each other 
and talked about the days when Badger was alive. Mole told about the time Badger had taught her how to cut out a chain of moles from a single folded piece of paper. She felt joy as she remembered that day, and now she made a chain of moles for each of Badger's friends so that everyone who had loved Badger had a chain of moles hanging in their home. Fox remembered how Badger had showed him how to knot his tie properly. Fox showed his friends. Starting with the wide end, it's right over left, once around to the back, up, and then down through the crossover and push the knot up to the neck. In honor of Badger, Fox decided he would teach any animal who asked how to knot a tie. Badger had given Rabbit his special tools and taught her to bake gingerbread rabbits. Now, her baking was well known throughout the countryside, and whenever one of Badger's friends came calling, they could count on Rabbit for a cookie, just like Badger used to make. Each of the animals had a special memory of Badger to treasure, a parting gift that would become all the more special each time it was passed on to others. As the last of the snow melted, so did the animals' sadness. Whenever Badger's name was mentioned, someone remembered another story that made them all smile. Finally, one spring day, as the animals were walking on the same hillside where they'd last seen Badger, they wanted to thank their friend for his parting gifts. Thank you, Badger, they said softly, believing that Badger would hear them. And somehow, Badger did. My Mother's Belly by Sonia Renee Taylor. <clears throat> the bread of her waist, a loaf we would knead with eight-year-old palms sweaty from play. My brother and I marveled at the ridges and grooves, how they would summit at her navel, how her belly looked like a walnut, how we were once seeds that resided inside. We giggled whenever she would recline on the couch, lift her shirt, unbutton her pants, let her belly spread like cake batter in a pan. It was as much a treat as licking the sweet from electric mixers on birthdays. <laughs> the undulating of my mother's belly was not a shame she hid from her children. She knew we came from this, seemed grateful. Her belly was a gift we kept passing between us. It was both hers of her body and ours for having made it new, different. Her belly was an altar of flesh built in remembrance of us by us. What remains of my mother's belly resides 
in a container of ashes I keep in a closet. Every once and again, I open the box, sift through the fine crystals with palms that were once eight, feel the grooves and ridges that do not summit now, but rill through fingers. Granules that are so much more salt than sweet today. And yet, still I marvel at her once body. Even in this form, say, I came from this. Every time I read or hear that poem, My Mother's Belly, by Sonia Renee Taylor, those words, they just get to me. They, they just get in me. In a culture full of body hating and body shaming, she doesn't diminish or dismiss or denigrate her mother's body or her mother's beautiful belly. And she's clear that her mother loved her body as well. It was not a shame that she hid from her children. In fact, when Sonia talks about her mother's body, she uses sacred religious language. Her belly was an altar of flesh, an altar built in remembrance of us by us. As the poet runs her hands through the remains of her mother's cremated body, she says with reverence and grief, even in this form, I come from this. I give thanks for this poem, for this poet, for her love of the body, this place we live, the address we inhabit for as long as we are on this earth. I give thanks for the way this poem makes me gasp in grief and how it celebrates and remembers the body, even when the body is ash and bone. This poem is real. This poem is overwhelming. It speaks the truth that death is a constant companion to life itself, and there is no getting around it. That is the bedrock foundational truth. But there's nuance in all of that, of course. And if we experience an unexpected death, the shock, the sadness, the unfinished conversations, the amends that were in process, whatever it might be, it can feel really dislocating and overwhelming. Other times when a loved one has suffered pain or dementia or we have cared for a parent or spouse or someone for many years, death can bring a sense of relief and gratitude. Even grief can, even, even though grief still lingers at the edges. And often, as we seek to navigate this, it is the poets and the writers, the singers, the hospice caregivers, the artists, the musicians who teach us how to navigate that landscape of death and love. Sonia Renee Taylor, the poet, is one of them, and author Anne Lamott is another one of those teachers. In her newest book, Almost Everything, Anne Lamott shares these words. Anytime you investigate how scary and bad loss is, it becomes a lot less bad. And a lot less bad is a small miracle. The great paradox is that drawing nearer to death 
will begin to help put it in the rearview mirror. Then, instead of living in unconscious fear of its arrival crashing our party, we accept it as one of the musicians at the party. In other words, we put death in its rightful place. Lamott continues, and I promise that people you lose here on this side of eternity, whom you can no longer call or text, will live again fully both in your heart and in the world. And what Lamott is pointing to here is this experience she has, and she writes about this frequently, of being in, say, the grocery store aisle, and all of a sudden her beloved friend is right, Pammy is like right next to her. As she's reaching for the marinara sauce, her friend says something funny or witty to her about why are you picking that sauce or whatever it is. Or Anne Lamott will be driving in her car and then all of a sudden next to her is a beloved family member, long gone, real, alive in that moment, speaking to her. Anne Lamott says, the deceased will make you smile and talk out loud at the most inappropriate times. She goes on to say, of course, the absence of someone we love will cause lifelong pains of homesickness, but grief, friends, time, and tears will heal you to some extent. Tears will bathe, baptize, and hydrate you in the seeds beneath the surface of the ground on which you walk. Somehow, as we get older, she says, death becomes as sacred as birth. And while we don't exactly welcome it, Death becomes a friend. Recognizing the impermanence of our lives means we hold the truth that death is part of that experience, the nature of things. It is not something wrong or broken or foreign or something to be denied or pushed away. We come from the belly of this earth. We come from bodies, and we live in a body, and when we take our last breath, we return to the body of the earth. And right now, as we remember the dead, we are here, all of us here, filled with the spirit of life, breathing, alive in our bodies, and feeling in our bodies. And maybe our body is filled with grief. Perhaps you are full of grief in this moment, and you can put your hand over your heart to comfort yourself or touch your cheek or hold the back of your head to say, I know, I know. Maybe your body is carrying gratitude. And you might put two hands over your heart as a thank you to those who have shaped you, who have been with you, have walked with you, but are now gone. Whatever it is in your body you are feeling this morning, I hope you love your beautiful body. Love the way it dances, if you're a dancer. Love the way it gets down in the soil and the grass and the weeds to dig and plant and tend. Love the way it sings and hums. Love the way your body feels when the sun shines on your skin on a cold day and you feel that warmth in your spirit. I hope you love your body in the way it yearns for connection and healing 
to be in right relationship with other bodies, the way it dreams of another world, a more just and compassionate one. Someday, others will marvel at our once bodies, perhaps saying, I came from this. But right now, as you feel the heaviness, perhaps, of grief or the lightness of gratitude or the warmth of love, whatever it is you're feeling, that means you are alive. You are alive. Those feelings indicate you are among the family of things here alive in this world. The story of your life still unfolding. We are here, alive, able to hold hands, able to say, I love you, able to make a gesture of kindness, able to work for justice. And the deceased can and will shape the unfolding of our lives. The deceased can and will invite us to be brave, to take risks, to love the hell out of this world, and to build beloved community. The deceased are alive in you in your body. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.